what happened yesterday with your TikTok? It's not just yesterday. It's like the last two days, the last two videos I put out got stuck at like 50K views. That's happened a couple of times before. I'm like really in tune with how the algorithm works. You know, when you drive a car long enough, the car becomes like an extension of your body. You're like so in tune with it. You know exactly where it ends, you know how wide it is. If you see a parking spot, you know, I, I can make it in there. You intuitively know that's how I am with the TikTok algorithm. So I put out a video yesterday, it's stuck. It's at 52,000, super unusual. It should be at about 150 right now. That's just really frustrating because you're reliant on this, tr this platform to build a business. And at some point you realize you don't control it. Those 700,000 people, I don't have direct access through them unless it's through TikTok, which is why all the creators are always advocating. If you're doing content, get an email list ASAP because you own it. Yeah, I find it very odd because when I look at your videos, they're all in the hundreds of thousands, if not in the millions. The really good ones are in the millions. What is it? Do you think the shadow ban council is reviewing? <laughs> or is, is shadow banning real? What is it? That's the problem that I don't know. And I will never know. There's no transparency. They're not obligated to tell me anything. I'm not entitled to know anything. And I've had this problem before. I called my, my guy at TikTok. I was like, bro, what's happening? I put out a video. I have like 12 views in an hour. That should be seconds. He's like, well, you know, our system has shown that everything's fine. Like that is the most frustrating call. Cause I'm like, I'm on the phone. I'm like, bro, it is not fine. Like I got, you know, maybe sponsorships in the air cause your numbers direct, you know, directly affect your business. But the biggest takeaway for me is as a creator, this gets me excited about web three. That's where my mind goes instantly. Connect it, connect the dots. So web three is a term that a lot of you guys have probably heard over the, the last maybe six months. It is the next phase of evolution for the internet. It is basically these new set of protocols or technologies on which we're kind of reorganizing the way the internet works and we're building it on top of those things. And when I say protocols, think of it as like infrastructure, right? In a city, you have pipes, plumbing, electrical wiring. Protocols are the infrastructure of the internet. So in the 90s, some of the protocols that made the internet what it is today are like HTML, TCP slash IP. These are different ways for information to, to, to flow, so to speak. They're like building blocks. And then we take those building blocks and we create email clients and then we create websites, right? So the history of the internet, as Chris Dixon states it, is in the 90s, we had read only. You have a website, you go there and you kind of read the content whether it's a, a blog, whether it's a, you know, New York Times, it's a one-way street, right? In the 2000s, Web 2.0 came along, which is now read and write. We have social networks, we have uh, WordPress, blogs started popping up. So now as a user, your relationship to the internet isn't just reading it, it's now you're creating content as well. You're not just a consumer. So Web 3 is really utilizing the crypto technologies that are underlying the cryptocurrencies and taking that infrastructure and making really interesting things that are not possible today. So what differentiates Web 3 from Web 2 is if Web 1 is read, Web 2 is read and write, Web 3 is read, write, and own. Whereas as a creator, you're contributing to a platform, but in the process, you actually own a share of that platform. It's like revenue sharing in a way, right? TikTok is a great example. People like me have built up this company. I think right now I'm, I'm at 68 million views since I've created my profile in eight months. I've brought that attention 
from people around the world onto their app so they can sell ads and, and function, right? I don't own any part of TikTok. And what makes me mad is that I don't even own my own following on TikTok. Theoretically, I probably own the content, the IP to, to it, but I'm not interested in the IP. I'm interested in, in the, the relationships. I'm interested in the, the following. I want to talk to somebody who is building the Web3 TikTok. Why would Web3 be better than Web2 when it comes to social? Why is it better? If I were to leave TikTok today, my audience stays there. Sure, I can get my content. I can repost it on YouTube or Instagram, but I'm starting from scratch. Those relationships, they stay at TikTok. In the Web3 world, it's possible that whatever platform comes along is simply an interface where I plug my MetaMask wallet or, and it transfers all those relationships in a way. So my whole network is transferable. Think of it as like a contact book. When you pick up your phone and you have your contacts and you have 700,000 contacts, I can sell you that too, right? I can sell my token. And all of a sudden you have this token that has 700,000 followers. There's always a continuity. Yeah, but you also own it directly. There is no company. You also get larger profit sharing. My first video that went stupid viral, did like 8 million views, it generated me $220 for 8 million views. Bro, that's crazy. Come it's on. very little. I'm not, I'm not trying to be greedy or anything, man, but assuming that I could pull that, that out of my ass every single week, right? If I could do that once a week... Right, that's like, you know, less than a thousand a month. I can't live off of that. Think would, how crazy that is. You would imagine it would be a lot more rewarding doing those kinds of numbers. I think it would be, in an ideal world, it's hard to work out the economics because it, it depends on so many variables, but any way you chop it up, I don't think that that's a fair compensation for the attention that I've gathered from around the world and brought it onto one platform. I feel like they should be paying me a lot more than that. In exchange, right, I understand what the, the agreement is. They give me an audience. They get eyes on me in exchange, and I get that too, but I feel like we got to do better. I have the desire to do this full time. I should be able to provide for myself. So the bar is so high to sustain yourself as a creator on TikTok. If you just rely on, you know, the ad revenue split. How would you decide who owns how much? I mean, it's an algorithm thing. So just like they have algorithms that determine if your video pops or not, how much are you contributing? How often are you posting? How, how long have you been on the platform? You know, some Web3 properties do airdrops for like OG users, right? If you've been on it for 10 years, maybe you should get more than somebody who just joined two months ago. If I've been doing this for a while, if um, I have consistent behavior, the beauty though is that if all of this is an algorithm, and it's open source, which is one of the biggest reasons I believe Elon Musk wants to buy Twitter. He keeps saying that if he buys it, he wants to make the algorithm open source because it is essential for a democratic process to occur. We need transparency. Like, am I shadow man or not? And maybe it's okay if I am, but I need to know that I am. Instagram, I'm having a similar problem. I got a weird pop-up saying, congratulations, you can monetize now. Your reels are doing really well. I've been on there going crazy with the design secrets. And they gave me a bonus. They're like, if you hit 80 million views up until May 12th, we'll give you $8,500. I'm like, all right, bet. And then the next screen tells me you're ineligible because of community guidelines. And you can't appeal this. Like, what do you mean I can't appeal this? I don't have any content that violates it. 
But for whatever reason, somewhere I've done something wrong, according to them, and they don't tell me what it is, and they just tell me, you can't appeal this either. That, in a nutshell, is why Web 2 cannot be the future of the internet. How would Web 3 be the solution to that problem? Transparency. Because the crypto world works on consensus. That's one of the key words. Right now, we can't decide if this is the right algorithm if I don't know how it works. What have I violated? Why am I not eligible to get these bonuses? They simply decide, you know, it's a dictatorship. It's not a democracy. And I think Web3 is a step towards a truer democracy than Web2, which is a dictatorship. So who, who decides how the algorithm is going to be and how it operates? Is it, doesn't it fall prone to the same problem? That it's a few people, so therefore the algorithm is also centralized? I don't know if it'll be a few people, but like if you look at, you know, Bitcoin and mining, you have these models where it's way more distributed. Anybody has a chance to be a gatekeeper, right? With the whole Ethereum thing, anybody can start up a node, right? You lock up 32 ETH and all of a sudden you're part of the, the institution. Instagram, you can buy all the shares you want, but technically, you know, you're not touching anything, right? You don't even know how it works. And with these DAOs and everything, that's the whole idea. DAO. DAO is really um, a decentralized group of people coming together for a cause. And that could be a commercial, it could be a commercial project. It could be a, a nonprofit. It's a bunch of people just kind of like, a, it reminds you of the anonymous hacking. You remember those guys that were just going crazy and banding together and disappearing? A DAO is like kind of a similar thing, right? Different people around the world come together, kind of form like a group, right? Legally gets interesting because, you know, is it a legal entity? Is it not? It doesn't even matter because the output is what matters, which is it allows decentralized collaboration. What is a decentralized autonomous organization? Is that what a DAO stands for? Yeah. Long story short, man, I think it's, it's more so the ethos of Web3 that really hits home for me. Last night, it was one of those times, man, where I was just like, I was super down about it because I realized like I don't own my own destiny. Maybe it sounds extreme. Maybe it sounds like I'm overreacting, but you got to realize like, for me, I'm not doing this shit as a hobby. Like I'm on a mission. I'm trying to do this shit for real. I'm trying to turn this shit to a, a full-time income generating business move. I'm not on TikTok just for shits and giggles and to boost my ego with likes and views. I'm trying to turn this into dollar signs. And when I'm banking on that, man, it's super disheartening. I think the reason why this problem cuts so close to home for creators such as myself who are taking this serious, like I'm posting on a mission here to build an empire off of this shit. It cuts close because you realize you don't own your own land, right? You don't own your own business. It's predicated on somebody else's. And you're at their whim. YouTube had a similar problem where at some point they started taking down World War II videos, I think depicting Hitler, I want to say. And there was somebody I, th I was reading on, on Reddit who had a whole channel dedicated to World War II archive footage. And here's somebody who's really invested himself to his time and effort into building quality content with historical significance, contributing to the historical discourse of our civilization. Overnight, YouTube decides this content is not okay anymore. You're done. Nobody voted for it. He never had a say. There was no communal vote, right? DAOs have votes all the time. YouTube simply decided like, this is borderline hate speech. It's anti-Semitic, whatever the case is. I just said the word Hitler. Maybe YouTube's algorithm might detect this word and shoot down this video. So that is a problem with Web2. We don't control our own destiny as creators. We have somebody playing the dictator role of deciding what 
is worthy of propagating in society? What speech is okay and what's not? True gatekeeping. Which is why I think Elon Musk is going so hard at acquiring Twitter. I think he realized like there is a serious, serious problem. Especially with speech right now, and especially with social and the way there's so much censorship everywhere. It's a huge just phenomenon right now with all the social that we have in Web2, just censorship. And it happens throughout the world. Different things get censored in different parts of the world. Absolutely. Censorship is it's one of those things where it's not something that everybody agrees on, for one. And second of all, the scary part is, imagine this guy who started this World War II channel that, was, that I'm talking about. He goes through the terms and conditions of, of YouTube and he checks all the specifications of what you can and you can't say. Violent speech, nope, I'm good. This, I'm good, I'm good. He passes the whole terms and conditions. So he starts posting. And then years later, they change it and pull the rug up underneath him. After he's already made sure that he's on the right side of the terms and conditions. That's unfair because that guy might've quit a full-time job. He might've taken risks to build a career on YouTube and, and start a channel. And all of a sudden, one day, somebody, we don't even know who has a problem. Like somebody behind the curtains said, nah, this type of content is not okay anymore. We don't have to tell you why. We don't have to explain ourselves. It just isn't. And you're done. We can't live in a world like that and call ourselves free. That's why Web3 has to, has to take off. I don't mean it's going to replace Web2. So you can still be on Instagram and Facebook. But then if you choose to do so, you can hop on Web3. The problem there is popularity. TikTok is on, you know, a billion phones. It's going to take some time for a Web3 product to catch up. Why is it going to take time for it to catch up? I mean, just a network effect. I think for anybody, forget Web3, for anybody to surpass TikTok and YouTube and Instagram, it takes not just time, sometimes it's just sheer luck. Certain things take off, certain things never do. I tweeted this, I was like, right now is the moment for a Web3 company to go viral by having Joe Rogan jump ship from Spotify and say, I'm on this platform now. And I think it's gonna take a band of those types of personalities. You know what this reminds me of? Jay-Z pulled this move with Tidal. Do you remember this? I do, he had all these stars, A-list celebs, J. Cole, Rihanna, and all of them on stage each owning ownership. He's like, we're going to distribute ownership. We're going to decide the rules. Funny how that sounds like Web3, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. You have artists and musicians that own part of the platform on which they're distributing their content. Right away, Tidal was a Web3 company. Is there a platform for music now where it's analogous to what you're saying for social? There probably is, but the problem there is, is the distribution and the consuming platforms, right? Like Spotify is a big player. Apple Music, those have the hundreds of millions of listeners. It's funny how Jay-Z positioned title to be almost a blueprint for Web3 is trying to become today. He got the musicians, gave them ownership of the platform, and full creative control. 20 years ago, if your hobby was painting rocks and stacking them on top of each other, uh, you were called a loser and a weirdo. Five years ago, you could build a career on YouTube doing that. All of a sudden, somebody who's just really into rocks and, and art and doing weird sculptures with rocks, uh, all of a sudden has a viable way of earning a living. And not only that, he can actually surpass the regular nine to five lifestyle and maybe blow up on, on a mega level. So YouTube created these career opportunities where none existed. It gave everybody who was alternative, who was fringe, who was into weird things. I love this channel that does painting restorations. I think it's this guy out of Chicago. 
And he has clients that are really wealthy. They buy these paintings that are destroyed and have sat in attics with mold and moisture and humidity for 20 years. And he documents and explains the whole process of how do you restore a painting? And he's got the gloves on, he's got different chemicals and he treats it and he paints it. And it's fascinating. This dude might be making more money off his YouTube channel than, than the makes, actual practice. Maybe not, right? Maybe I'm exaggerating, but you get my point. People with weird hobbies couldn't have a career easily before YouTube. And YouTube created this whole new reality of economic sustainability for people that were just really couldn't fit into their mainstream system. So the more platforms like this we have, the more people can hop on this fringe alternative career path, myself included. There's no really job title out there in the world that fits me perfectly. I have this weird, unique mix of things and TikTok has allowed me to capture, right? An audience. And if I was monetizing well enough, I could do this full time and I would have a, a viable career path. So. That's why I think Web3, man, is, is going to keep amplifying and growing and creating jobs for people that don't fit in. It will give them more financial backing to do what they want. I see it as a huge redistribution of how wealth is passed. Like, imagine if TikTok cost $10 a month and there was no ads on the whole platform, right? Maybe you wouldn't have a billion users. Maybe you would have, I don't know, let's say a lot less but it would be direct consumer to create a relationship. That fund would get broken up and get dis distributed to the creators. Medium does that. And I'm, I'm part of their creator program. You know, for a brief period of time, I was the top writer two years in a row on Medium. And they had a very similar program where people choose to subscribe and get more benefits with the platform for, I think, I don't know, four bucks a month you get to be a Medium power user. And if you read you, you have $4 and if you read four stories that month, a dollar a piece would go to like each creator or something. It would get broken up and the pie would get split based on how many stories you consumed directly. I like that. I like that model a lot. The money I don't know was never there for me personally. YouTube is much more lucrative than that, but maybe it's not even ad revenue, right? Maybe it's just direct subscription based. And think of Netflix, right? Think of uh, Spotify. What if you could cut that out, that middleman out, right? You can still have software engineers. They can get paid handsomely. They can own a stake of the company. You can still have designers and marketing people. But instead of like this corporation, it will be a DAO where everything is like in a communal ownership sense. Everybody's an owner. And those hundreds of billions would be kind of more evenly distributed. People who love your content can directly pay you as a creator with much less overhead being taken from that money. I also see no middleman when it comes to governance, which is amazing. Typically with a typical corporation in the stock market, you have, a, you have the shareholders and then you have a board of directors. The board of directors do essentially, you know, what the shareholders kind of want them to do. We have this two-tiered process for governance, right? Yeah. But whereas for Web3, it's really just a DAO. They are both in a way shareholders and the board of directors. Yeah, I mean, it's, an, it's a brave new world, man. And it's enabled because of these new cryptographic technologies. Before even Bitcoin, the whole cryptography thing has always been interesting to me, how you know, it's hidden phrases and we have functions that can take a number and scramble it one way, but not the other. It's like this mathematical magic that's happening that is underpinning this technological revolution, you know, is cryptography at the bottom of all this. If you had to be bold, you had to take a position with confidence. 
where do you think social is going to be in like a decade from now? In what sense? You see more Web3 than Web2 social taking over. You see a mix where there's Web2 is also there. It's really hard to say. I think it's really hard to say because the biggest point of friction with Web3 and all this crypto stuff is fear and lack of good user experience. As I sound like a broken record. Everybody would tell you that. It's really difficult to use for the average person. There's a fair bit of technicality involved and it's not well explained. Even MetaMask doesn't do a good job at explaining to somebody like what, it, what is about to happen. This is installed locally. What if somebody steals my laptop? People need reassurance. Unless there's like a direct financial incentive to learn these things, which there very well might be. I don't know. I definitely see a lot of people just sticking with Facebook and the old Web2 companies. But I'm hoping that, you know, at least one, at least one goes mainstream. What do you think? I think there's going to be a coexisting world, but I feel like for creators, they're going to want to get to Web3 more so. It's just going it, to draw analogy with music. It's saying, hey, why stick with the conventional label when they take more and they don't give you that much in return? Whereas you could be independent and you can do a lot more like the Rust model, the Joyner Lucas model, you know? So I see the new school of creators wanting to be more so Web3. I feel like see their content. You got to be on Web3 as a consumer as well. So, I mean, a lot of it's going to go back to economics, but I think a lot of it's up to the creators. Ultimately, consumers have the last word. Because if you're a creator and I say, come to my platform, I'll pay you four times better than YouTube. But if I have a thousand people, right? Like that is not very appealing to you as a creator. Like the reach is what interests you as an artist. You want to reach as many people as possible too. And if your fans live on Spotify, it is extremely difficult to get them to switch over. Do you see what I'm saying? I definitely do. And I also think like Tidal is a good example of how the creators can kind of control the crowd. I mean, at the time it came out, you had Spotify, you had Apple Music, and they were brave enough to go out on a limb and say, oh, wait, there's these hundreds of millions, if not billions of users on these competitor platforms. But you know what? We're going to go out on a limb. You know what we're going to do? We're going to get a group of creators and we're going to say, you know what? Exclusive content is going to be here. We're pulling all our music from all these other catalogs, from all your platforms. You got to come here now. So I think if creators can engage in concerted action and say, you know what? We're moving our stuff. This is the new platform. This is where we're going to be. I think, I think they can somehow dictate where consumers end up going and whether they'll go to this new platform. So in a way, I feel like creators really have the ultimate say if they do it right. So ultimately, that's true. But practically, I don't think that's how it plays out. Because if you look at Tidal, the creators that were on stage with Jay-Z proclaiming this is the future, you have Madonna, Rihanna. I mean, you had the, yeah. uh, the biggest artists, right? They don't really care that much because they're fine. They've already made it. They're at the top of the pyramid. They can afford to take these risks. They can afford to lose 20% of their stream financially due to ideological stances they want to take. If you're a new artist, you don't have the freedom to be like, well, I support this, but if that's going to mean that I don't make money, you're not going to probably do it. So you're going to go to the situation that makes the most sense for you. And even then, right, that's not a new move. Uh, Twitch and I think Amazon are fighting for Ninja, was it? Like the top streamers, like everybody wants exclusives, right? A new show drops, 
Netflix wants it, Apple TV wants it, everybody's trying to lock in the exclusive. That's an old tag, you know, old tactic. But I think ultimately, man, what really matters is for the average creator who's up and coming, what situation makes the most sense for them, right? And it's really tough to walk away from Spotify in a lot of in a lot of ways because you have access to everybody. Everybody's got it on their phones or, you know, Apple Music. And here's this esoteric new company that costs 10 bucks a month or maybe 20 bucks a month, right? Like Tidal's more expensive, I believe, than, than Spotify or Apple Music. So now you have to convince your fans to get something brand new when they already have playlists that are saved on Spotify. They already have maybe friendships or whatever. The limiting factor is, can you convince your fans to buy this new thing that might be more expensive than what they're used to? And it might not even be better in the beginning, right? Tidal, I don't think is a phenomenal UX, UI, revolutionary product, it's probably like, probably a tier less, I would say, because they don't have the same amount of money to invest in research and development. They don't have the same talent as Spotify or Apple Music. So most likely, Tidal is a subpar product compared to the best of the best, and it's probably more expensive. So it's tough. It's definitely tough. Yeah, it's going to get real interesting with, I think, Web3 and the friction that's going to happen with web two. And I feel like web two companies are naturally going to feel threatened. Yeah. Now where the network effect really kicks in is social networks, right? Because if you've been on Facebook and you have five hundreds of your contacts of your closest friends and associates and colleagues on there, if you leave and go elsewhere, you lose all of their contacts. So you're afraid to go because none of them are there and they're afraid to go because you're not there. So this is what's known as the network effect, also known as Metcalfe's law. And the way it works is think of the telephone back in the day. If you have a phone and I have a phone, we can only call each other, right? If somebody else joined and a third person had a phone, now I can call you or him and he can call me or you and you can call me or him. And if another person joins, those connections between the nodes exponentially increase, right? So the definition of network effect is that every additional user adds value to himself and everybody else to the network. So that is a network effect that protects social networks from competing social networks. We saw this play out with Google Plus, right? Google Plus launched what is a much better model of managing your social connections. I don't know if you remember this, but they had these Google circles, these friend circles. I remember, and you would create different circles. And you could drag and drop. The UI was super slick. They had these really interesting design patterns I hadn't seen before. They were really putting a lot of effort and thought into that product. But the problem was that they're competing with the network effect of Facebook. What's the point of going to a party where nobody's there and you have three people, right? That's not a party you want to be at. So with that being said, Facebook, Instagram, they have an incredible network effect. It's ironic because I don't do anything on Facebook other than for the sole purpose of Marketplace and Messenger. Yeah, and Messenger is another great example, right? Would you join a new Messenger from scratch on Web3 and you get paid? I mean, who cares? If I can't message people, what good is it's encrypted end to end and I get paid and it's, that's great. But like, ultimately, I need to be able to talk to people. And if I tell my friends, hey, hit me on this new thing, like what? And they try to get it. And like, you need a MetaMask wallet to what the hell is a MetaMask? Nah. Right. So that's the challenge that Web3 has to overcome. It has to become accessible. It really has to be accessible. And that's going to come through education. That is going to come through great design. 
So it just, it, it goes back to like what you're saying, adoptability. As a designer, I can tell you people always take the path of least resistance, you know, unless there's a financial incentive, which I think is what Web3 is really leveraging right now, the browser brave, right? You get paid for browsing the internet. Now to abandon your browser and to pick up an entirely new piece of software and make that your daily habit to get, go on your favorite websites, that's a lot of work. Browsers are sticky, right? People are creatures of habit. We like certain things, we get used to the UI. So Brave, for example, pays you to browse the internet and you don't see any ads and then it's encrypted. That I think is a great model because there's a direct financial incentive. And even if you don't like Brave and you're too lazy to switch, when somebody tells you, I just made, you know, $1,200 last year browsing the internet, all of a sudden, like, you're like, wait a minute, I, I got to check this thing out. So the number one way to change people's behavior is incentive. And if it's a crypto financial incentive, I think that's even better. And I think we're going to see more of those types of approaches. Listen to music here and earn this cryptocurrency. Browse Instagram on this new thing and earn money liking photos. The problem though, is that these new cryptocurrencies are gonna be oversaturated. They already are, right? They're oversaturated. Every product is gonna have their own cryptocurrency and it like kind of devalues the whole thing, right? Because uh, one token might be worth 0.0000001 cent. And it's really hard to know in the long term what's gonna pop off. So there's this natural cleansing cycle that needs to happen. This natural evolution where a lot of these companies need to die out. These companies and projects need to fail. So the good ones would stand the test of time or the Lindy effect. But I, as a creator, am extremely looking forward to owning my own destiny, not being at the hands of a company, which is great. I love TikTok, right? There's some questionable things that people obviously critique that I think are valid. But in general, I think TikTok is the pinnacle of social media. Let's go back and let's look at all the evolution that happened on social networks, right? First was MySpace. Arguably one of the biggest innovations was the top eight. This concept of here I have a website where I have a stage where I can publicly signal to the world my top eight closest associates. That is a really novel and interesting mechanism to have. And for whatever reason, it did not stand the test of time. We as a society somewhere along the line decided that we didn't really value that to the point that is still prevalent in our social media products today. But I thought that was an interesting one, right? You could write on people's walls. So the, the innovation of a wall, MySpace, I think kind of validated, right? You have a wall, the analogy that I have a wall and I can graffiti walls and vandalize them in a way I can write on them. That analogy seemed to stick. It's, it's stuck with Facebook. Facebook also has a wall. Now, when I think about Facebook, I think the technology that, I, that comes to mind that Facebook really brought was like this bottomless real-time updating wall. Do you remember that when they launched yeah, it? I remember that. I thought to me, Facebook was great because it's like, it was kind of like the Apple approach. There's like minimal user control. Like, this is it. These are your parameters. You use our experience, you either like it or you don't. Whereas MySpace, it was like fully customized. You can customize so much. So it was like an Android versus Apple, iOS. And I think, you know, a lot of people just love that. Hey, I don't have to get into HTML. I don't got to do all this customization. It's already, we all got the same thing. Well, MySpace didn't require you to do any customization. It was optional. 
And I actually believe if I were to make a bet or a prediction now, I believe that that's going to come back into the future in some sort of a form. I think we're tired of these clean, sterile products. I think people want to project their customized preferences for color and animations. And I think more particularly, it's going to be like the teenager-based products that are going to bring that back to an extent. Why go and stare at a white screen when you're phone when you can customize it and have it really represent who you are? So I think that part of the MySpace ex experiment temporarily went out of style, but I think it's going to come back. And then when I think of Facebook, obviously the real-time refreshing wall, I remember that launched and it was kind of interesting because it would just populate. Your newsfeed would just not end. It was constantly being updated with people. So after Facebook, the real-time real updating wall, that was their innovation, right? And I want to say after that, for quite some time, nothing really happened until Snapchat. They took us by storm, I thought, and Facebook was really scared, I remember. And it picked up heavy, especially among the, new, the younger kids. Snapchat pioneered the disappearing transient media, right? It's here for a limited amount of time, and then it disappears. And what that did is that liberated people from this fear that anything I do is going to be permanent into the memory of the internet and is going to always be there. And my wild parties, people might not remember this, but there was a certain scare back in 2010, 11, 12, people were losing jobs over Facebook posts. Do you remember that? Remember it. A school teacher might have a picture leak where she's at a party doing a keg stand or something. She loses her job. Employers were going back through social media history and kind of, you know, identifying who's doing what kind of illegal behaviors and who's rowdy and, and doing alcohol and shit like that and, and not hiring you or firing. And then Snapchat comes along and says, you know what, we're going to make this disappearing media so you don't have to worry about that. That unlocked this new uh, channel of content where people are not afraid to post as much, right? So I credit Snapchat to like the next evolution of social media. That's when to me is a, a pivotal moment in the, in the history of social media. And they created the story. What happened next? Facebook copied the story. LinkedIn copied the story. Instagram, there's memes that Excel was about to get stories and word. And, you know, the story became this new mechanism that people just started implementing. And then it seems like nothing really happened for some time. If Snapchat was social media's 2.0 moment, TikTok is a 3.0 moment for social media because... It said, okay, well, instead of clicking a story and having it disappear and then clicking your next person, what if you just had this continuous stream of video that you could just, over time, just mindlessly, not even browse anymore, right? There is no navigation. One of the biggest pain points of, of Snapchat was the UI redesign. Do you remember how much shit there was and people were given Snapchat for being confusing and they redesigned it and you had like, you could swipe to the left and you can have these publication stories and swiping to the right and then they had a map of the world. I think that's when I fell off of it. It got, it got too convoluted, right? And then the innovation was TikTok said, no more navigation. You have one stream, endless continuous video that gets better and better with time the more you watch. To me, that is a logical conclusion of social media. I personally can't imagine where social media goes from here. This is it. Like we've reached it. Like this is the pinnacle in terms of smartphones and handheld devices. When we go to AR and different tech, sure. But in terms of media, I think this is like kind of like the 
homo sapien moment, right? Like we, we had Neanderthals and then homo erectus and now we've reached the ultimate pinnacle of evolution. I think this is it. That's why it's so addicting. That's why it's the number one website in the world. TikTok surpassed Google in traffic for the first time in like 18 years or 15 years. That to me is a sign that they, they locked into the winning formula. You don't have to think, you don't have to navigate. Everything will be served to you in short segments and bursts of interest continuously. Vine did that first. Why is it that Vine didn't pick up like TikTok? I don't know, man. To be honest with you, Vine did something that was really interesting to me and it was the six second rule. I think it was maybe a bit too constrained. I think I love Vine. I was one of the earliest users on Vine. And I think where TikTok really leveraged things is music. So I think what happened is ByteDance, which is the company that owns TikTok, uh, acquired Musical.ly. Do you remember Musical.ly? It was yep. like this musical app where you lip sync to your favorite songs. And when they married Vine with Musical.ly, you know, short clips, songs, I think that was it. Fascinating. Yeah. And I, they, they took off. But yes, thanks for reminding me. Vine is definitely is in the history books. They get a lot of credit for, you know. Yeah, I was thinking the, the, the snap moment they had. Vine really had that moment for video. And now what's happening is you know you've made it as a, as a product when people are imitating your format and it becomes a norm. Believe it or not, if you go to Twitter on your iPhone or your mobile device and you hit the search icon and you have your, your stories, you can actually swipe to the right and they have a TikTok feed in Twitter now where it, they literally imitated it and you just keep swiping and you see popular Twitter videos. And even the navigation up top looks identical to TikTok. And it's at the point where Facebook has TikTok stories, Instagram has it, Twitter has it. So at certain times, I'm not even sure which app I'm in. For a split second, if I go on Twitter and I swipe, I'm like, wait, am I, is this Instagram? Is this Facebook? Okay, this is Twitter. So I have the same problem now. Like when I'm scrolling through videos, I don't know if I'm on TikTok or Instagram. It's so I'm like, I have to check myself at times. Which means it works. Which means that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg knows what he's doing, bro. Like, you know how to they know how to copy really well. It's funny because TikTok now has implemented stories. So, it, you know, it, it, it cuts both ways. But um, to me, social media has reached, this is it. There is no better, quicker, faster, shorter way to input information into your brain. There just isn't. It's like a swipe away. It's the minimal physical movement. I want to propose this metric. If you were to look at all the different ways that you can ingest information over the course of the last... 15 years in social media, and you count the amount of calories burned in order to intake a certain amount of information. We might be at the point where this is the least amount of calories burned to intake the maximum amount of information. Back in the day, you had to scroll down on MySpace to read one sentence. Facebook came along, internet got a little bit better. Now you have pictures everywhere, right? You scroll down, you, you swipe up a couple times, you see a picture, you swipe more, you see another picture, you swipe more, it might be an article. With TikTok, I mean, you're burning a fraction of a calorie to intake 30 seconds of crack. So if you had a metric of calories burned per bites consumed, TikTok's going to win hands down. I think in, in the current form, because social media does live in the context of the technology we use to access it, in the current form of handheld devices, I think this is it. Now, when we introduce AR glasses, virtual reality, I don't know. That opens a whole other world of possibilities. That might change everything or it might change nothing. And maybe we find out that a, a smartphone is the ideal way to consume and we don't really care to have these constant streams of information in our eyesight. Who's to say? Time will tell, but 
I'll be really curious, man, genuinely curious to see another format take off, just like stories, reels and TikToks. So I don't know what the next thing would be. I'll be honest with you. I'm having difficulties. I, I think it's got to just be a Web3 form of what's Web2 right now. That really wouldn't be an evolution. That would be just change of medium, you know? The underlying under the hood technology is changing, but it still be the same mechanism, right? A story is a story. It doesn't matter if it's Web2 or Web3. It's still a story. The concept, the way it works is the same. So I wouldn't count that as an innovation. You know, it's more like an under the hood improvement. Now I have like skin in the game because when I first got into Bitcoin in like 2013 and I got into the crypto space and community and my interest was, like, was at all time high, it was like 2013, 14. I was more of like a ideological supporter for the movement. I wanted to see crypto succeed for political reasons and whatnot. But now I find myself as somebody with skin in the game. Now I'm in the field as a content creator. I have a stake directly into what happens with these platforms. It's not just, you know, something I use for fun. So uh, given that, I spent a lot of time thinking about Web3 and what possibilities that's going to bring me as a creator in the future. A part of me almost feels like, damn, I wish I would have popped up like five years later. I wish I was like, you know, in my 20s now. So when I got to creating content and I got good at it and I started popping off, Web3 was a thing and it was around. And this is how all the old school rappers must feel, bro. I think about this all the time. You know, when you think of the OGs from the 70s, I'm not talking Jay-Z and Eminem. I'm talking KRS-One, Rakim, Big Daddy Kane. Bro, these people invented the genre. And at that time, there was no financial market for it. No one was checking for hip hop like that. Records weren't selling. So they created something and then they sat back, right? They did their best to capitalize and they made loose change, really loose change. None of them made multi-million dollars off music. And they got back to watching the next generation pick up the baton and blow this shit up. And they saw the next generation and then Eminem came along and turned this shit to a internationally accepted music. And now you have, you know, little pumps. You have these little artists coming in, a couple hit songs, and they make millions, right? Little Pump came in with some bullshit ass songs and made more money than all of the original originators of the genre combined, probably, man. It pains me to see that. Those people opened a door that they themselves couldn't capitalize off of, you know? And I think about it from that point of view. Like, damn, I wish, you know, I wish it's not too late. I wish I can monetize off the Web3 because I'm kind of stuck in the Web2 world and the new kids coming up, they would never have to worry about what I'm worrying about right now. Oh, I don't own my own content or I don't own the platform or there's an opaque algorithm governing my future that I don't know how it's going to react tomorrow. That's stress, man. It's stressful. I'm not going to lie to you. It's stress. Not knowing if I'm going to wake up tomorrow and what's going to happen to my channel. Past week, I've been losing 60 followers a day super unusual. It's never happened. I'm not sure why that is. I'm not sure if these are real accounts. I'm not sure if TikTok is simply cleansing. I know I think Twitter or Instagram did like, like a big cleanse. They, they're like, we're getting rid of all these bots. Is that what's happening to my platform? I think so, but I have no idea. TikTok is not telling me anything. They have no obligation to, to extend that courtesy to me. Maybe it's real users and they're just getting fed up with my content, right? Which is fine, but I don't know. And that stress of like not knowing eliminates your decision to make choices because somebody right now might be panicking because they lost 10,000 followers last night 
Little do they know, no, it's not actual followers. They're just a bunch of fake accounts and TikTok hit delete on them. So things like that are translate to real stress for creators who are not doing this for fun, but are doing this like on a mission to build something out of it. Future of social is coming or where we're headed there. I would love to be a part of that. I would, I would love to be a part of the education process. I would love to, you know, have a, obviously a knack for explaining things and telling interesting stories, but I'd love to do that for a company that I believe in and that I truly subscribe to their vision. And there's so many companies I see, I'm like, oh my God, you guys are just dropping the ball. You guys don't know how to talk about yourself. You guys don't know how to tell stories. You guys are not engaging, but you got something great, you know? And I'd love to do that for some company that I truly believe in and I'm a part of. I think that would be super ill. And maybe Web3 allows that. I mean, ultimately, you know, my problem right now is that if you look at the hype cycle, which is this graph I think Gartner invented, is this curve basically that goes up, hype goes through the roof, and is this period where everybody's super bullish on something, they're, you know, head and overheel in love with some new technology or new concept. And then that's followed by a huge drop of disappointment where it doesn't deliver on the things that you think is going to deliver on, right? And only then in the third phase, it kind of levels out and naturally finds a middle ground between hype and disappointment. Right now, I think we're at the hype phase of Web3. The conversation happening in Web3, to me at least, is so much about the focus is on the wrong thing, and which is under the hood, right? Who cares if it's Web3, if the experience sucks, if the value proposition isn't there? I don't care if my car is gas or electric for the most part, right? What I care about is like, how does it affect me? If I'm in a really well-off position, I might care about how it affects the environment. But ultimately, like, does it get me to work on time? Does it get me to where I need to be? How much is it costing me every week? No one's gonna be like, oh, you should see the crank valves. They, they're built out of titanium. No one cares, right? Web3 is not interesting by itself. It's interesting when it can start presenting new possibilities that Web2 cannot. Anyways, man, that's what's been going on in my, in my head for the past 24 hours. And in the meantime, I'm going to keep going, keep cranking out content. Hopefully this wave passes. And oh man, like, I think the dope thing about this podcast is like people that are tuned in can really kind of join the journey of somebody trying to make it through content and hear the, not just the positive, but just the, the negative downside. And the interesting thing is like on TikTok, you can do a mutual only post that only your friends would see that's not available to the public. And I have a lot of like, you know, high caliber creators as, as friends on there, they're doing these posts and they're sharing these moments of disappointment, but it's not public. A lot of creators, man, are complaining about burnout. A lot of creators are on there talking about like, I can't do this anymore. I can't take the pressure. There was a dude that's saying people are just coming at me, getting personal. I need a break. I need to step away from this. And the dope thing about me is like, I really don't care, man. I'll tell you what's happening. I'll tell you, you know, the, the, the uglier side of what, what's going on with content creation. So. This is definitely one of those times, man, where this is not the fun part. Being uncertain about the future is fucking stressful. Seeing your followers drop drastically is stressful. Seeing your views freeze at a standstill when they should be doing 500,000, 200,000 and they're doing 20, 30, 50. That's stressful when you don't know why. This might be taken away from you. Like, is this going to end in two weeks? Is TikTok going to fall off? Is, is my account going to... I don't know, all of a sudden fall out of favor with the algorithm for whatever reason. 
I don't know. This is an extreme example, but I remember Alex Jones. He was all over social media. Now I don't, I don't see him anywhere. You know, and it's fascinating how overnight someone can just disappear off the face of the earth. Yeah, that was a targeted, targeted assassination attempt right there. They definitely moved in on him, and uh, for probably a good reason, right? They had violated terms of conditions. He was saying crazy shit. He was, I think, he's still going through lawsuits. He stepped out of line, and he got penalized for it. That makes sense to me. I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with somebody not knowing why shit froze and no one's telling them why. I reached out to Instagram, support. There is no way to reach out to their support. Every time I go to report a little ticket, error, error, and I'm reading online, they're like, yo, even if you get in touch with them, they're not gonna respond to you. They, somebody did the math, they get 700 reports, requests for support an hour, every day. I got like right now, like 8,000 followers. Like you're nobody. Why would we even waste time on answering you? Unless you're, you know, like a, a VIP creator. But I'm telling you, I am that with TikTok. I do have a, you know, a line of communication with the people directly in there. And even then, they're not giving me the answers I want. They have a script they have to tell me when I'm like, yo, what is happening? Why is this happening? Uh, well, it looks like, you know, this is working and your account is in good standing. So give it some time. These things happen. Like, no, that's not what I want to know. I need answers. And to them, it's just like an interaction to me. It's like, you're fighting for your business. Cause like, like I said, what if, what if I quit my job and I bet everything on this move of I'm building this media empire? It's stressful. You're always beholden to someone else. Yeah. And, uh, that's true in business. That's true when you have clients. But here it's like a bit more extreme because the highs are higher, but the lows are lower. Like a rule of life, you know, when you have high highs, naturally that is associated with low lows. You know, if you want to make millions of dollars a year, this is the type of stress you have to put up with. You want to be on TV playing basketball at a professional level, you're going to have to train at a crazy rate and sacrifice a lot of life. You have to live at the gym. And I feel like this is the natural stress that comes with being a content creator. Yeah, man. But... On that note, bro.